Here we go. We're on Memtes Amadala, 49b, uh, four lines from the bottom. And our question was uh, about the last, we were going through various uh, rules that were made uh, for the better of the community. And uh, one of those rules were that uh, even though the kids have taken over the family property and the family business, uh, they're required to take care of their elders. And even if when the elders gave them the business, they didn't stipulate that uh, they should be um, uh, taken care of, they, they should be paid, we're going to do it anyways. Uh, sometimes people think they'll have other money from other places and they, give away the, they gave away their business while they were alive. Uh, and the nature of it is that the kids uh, have other business uh, ventures they've made and they don't want to support the parents or they want to, but they feel they can't. Too bad. The parents have the first first dibs on that property. That was the rule they made in Usha. So the question was, was this something that uh, was accepted and did it stand or not? So the more it brings the proof. So it's a funny proof. Actually, we're going to bring a proof that it sounds like they didn't actually have that rule, but that they tried to force the kids to do it to the extent that they could. So let's see the story. You had two great sages, Rav Hanina and Rav Yonason, Havi Kaima. They were traveling together. All of a sudden, Asahu Gavra Gochem and Nashil Rav Yonason occur. Somebody comes, he bows down, and he kisses Rav Yonason on the feet. It was like he couldn't do enough for him. Uh, today, like if somebody really loves somebody, they kiss him on the hand. You know, like uh, to kiss him on the feet is like, whoa. So Omer Lei Rav Hanina, my hi, what's going on over here? Like, what did you do for the guy? I'll tell you the story. He said, He made the mistake of giving his kids his inheritance while he was alive. Uh, and uh, they, uh, he, he, whatever happened, he did, Social Security didn't cover it all. As we turn to today's page, I forced the kids to support, uh, the, uh, to support their elders. And that's why he kissed me on the feet, because I saved it. So uh, the, let's see the Gemara. If you say that this wasn't a requirement, this wasn't what everybody does, that's why he, he himself got involved and enforced him. Eliyamis Din, a Sinu boy, why did he have to do that? So um, you see that in the theory they agreed with it. The question was, was it a hard and cold regulation? Let's see Top Rashi. Um, we're on the Top Rashi on Dafnun Aleph. I, I forced those kids with strength. In other words, they really weren't, I wasn't, they weren't required to. The father had given them the property years earlier uh, without any stipulations. But I, I said, no, they are absolutely required to, uh, to sustain the parents. Uh, then why the guy have to kiss my feet? If that's the halacha, then that's what you got to do. So you see from here, that's what he did. There seems to be a debate here, but what did he actually do? Rashi said that he forced them b'chazaka. You know, he gave them that, that means like he twisted their arm. You have got no choice in this. Look at Tosus. Asinu boy, hai asu circle mahaina bidvorim. Tosa said he had a talk with them. <laughs> the question is, how far did he go? Maybe he didn't need to force them. How strong, right? Maybe he didn't need to uh, 
uh, you know, twist his arm. But Rashi says, Chazaka, you know, you're paying for him, but you're going to better give him the money whether you like it or not. Okay, back to the Gemara. Omri um, Vila, uh, three lines from the top. This, again, it was an amazing um, set of rules that were made when the Sanhedrin went to Usha. We've got another one coming up. He, and this one, again, it has to do really with this week's Parsha Mamish. It says, they made a rule. So there's a concept uh, that there's a mitzvah to give tzedakah. There's a mitzvah to give tzedakah. It's an interesting mitzvah, too. Um, we, we had this a little bit yesterday because um, it was on a tosus. Was it two days ago already? Yes, it was. Um, it was uh, the question was, usually you don't force somebody to do tzedakah. Uh, yeah, it was yesterday, and um, it was uh, the, second, the third tosus from the top on yesterday's page. Uh, we said that they forced uh, someone to give tzedakah. And so the question is, usually you don't force for this kind of mitzvah. Again, it's a very unique, it's, it, you know, but the mitzvah of tzedakah. But he made a different rule, and he said, don't, don't give it all away. He made a rule that if you're giving tzedakah, you shouldn't give more than a fifth. Uh, you should never give more than a fifth. Um, why? We're concerned that you'll become poor. The person, uh, up to a fifth, they can handle, but once they lose more than a fifth, they themselves will need tzedakah. And so they had to make a rule to stop people from giving too much away. That was what... Uh, the Mishalachim will find you a heter if you want to give more than a fifth. They, uh, they have, uh, there's that question. So it's a famous person that had, uh, uh, seems like he had um, very difficulties in old age, and he said it was because he ignored, he gave too much tzedakah. You know, that's the, the Rambam says, though, that he's never seen anybody harmed by giving too much tzedakah. He's never heard of such a thing, that uh, this person gave it all away, and he has none for himself. There's no such person. He's, never, he's traveled all over the world, and he never met such a person that uh, he gave too much tzedakah and it harmed him. But either way, they made this not, not more than a fifth. Tani Yami, we learned, oh, if you're giving, don't give more than a fifth. And this is a good rule. Like, tzedakah is not easy, but it tells the person how much they should. Because otherwise, if they give away more than a fifth, they may, they may need help from others. And there's something to be said for being independently, uh, not needing others, having enough money. Yes, uh, yes, that's true. Um, there was somebody that wanted to give more than a fifth, and the rabbi said, no way, we won't let you. That's what he wanted to. Um, let's see Tosus. Tosus already is giving a heterim over here. Uh, second Tosus in the top. The first Yushalmi, Shepamri Shona Yochel Chamesh. He says the first time, uh, the first time you can give a fifth of, of your estate away. And then, you give a fifth of the profit. So, I mean, he doesn't have you giving a fifth every year. He's saying you give a fifth once, and then you give a fifth on, on the profits of the, uh, of the revenue. That's the way Yushalmi says. But the first fifth, that could be a gazunta piece, because that's not yeah. the principle. Correct, that's right. That's the way Yushalmi learns. Um, okay. 
And uh, back to the Gemara. <laughs> which, which rabbi stopped him? Umanu Rebbe Yishovev. Omelei Rebbe Yishovev, Elonichaver. Who is that Rebbe Kiva? The question of who stopped, who insisted that they... Uh, and, and I mentioned to you, there are, there are circumstances where a person is allowed to give more away. Again, if you... Uh, um, you'll be, people will find you a heter if you really want to. Uh, um, the, the main concern would be that the person not <coughs> give so much away that he himself becomes poor. That would be the main concern. Okay. Omer Rav Nachmi, Tamerev, I mean, they have people in New York that, Baruch uh, Hashem, that uh, know the mitzvah of tzedakah, and they give their fifth. They give 20%, which is great. You're not obligated to give. You could give a tenth, right? They give their fifth. And then they have nothing else to spend their money on. Meaning they, that's why they, they have these weddings where they like throw away the money, you know, and they, uh, they get jets and what, else, what can they spend their money on? You know, they, they go and they can go live in a non-Jewish neighbor. They could buy an island. If you're a Yid, you have to live near a, um, near a shul. And so automatically, like how much, what's the most you could spend on a house? Like, so that's why, that's, in some cases, that's why they, they have these very lavish events because uh, that's what they... Uh, so the truth is that uh, they probably could get a heter to give more to tzedakah if they really wanted. It's not a, um, you know, they won't go, it's not that they're, if they were really going broke, they wouldn't waste all their money on the jets and all these lavish uh, events, uh, you know, bands. and uh, unbelievable. It's, 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 it's amazing what people spend on events. Like people go to uh, just regular events and it's like just incredible amounts of money that, that uh, um, but that's uh, that's uh, that's something that happens. Okay, moving on. Um, I didn't really prepare those heterim what, what, when this wouldn't apply. But that's the simple halacha that a person should should uh, if they want to be generous, twenty percent is good enough. Okay. How do we see that? That it says Yaakov promised Hashem, whatever you give me, I will surely tithe. Um, and it's like a plural, which implies a double tithe. Rashi, Aser Taser, four lines from the top. Shnei Yisurim, a double Miser is a fifth. So the Morris says, wait a second. If you give the first time, you take off 20. Then the second time you take, the first time you give a tenth, then the second tithe is a tenth on the remainder. So that's less than a twentieth. Vahailo dummy Yisura Basu, Yisura Kama. The second tithe is, so it's going to be less than 20. No, it means the second time you give the same tenth you gave the first time. So it's not actually a tenth of the remainder, you give a tenth of the first tenth. A double tenth. The rabbis that are quoted over here, the first ones were said in the name of multiple rabbis, and then the second ones were actually less rabbis. It's an easy way to remember it. Um, let's see, Rashi, Mismot of Ochot, Hamoraim Rishonim, the first Hamoraim were Omrev Osher Omre Shlakish, Mishum de Rebbe Yehuda Bar Chanina, that's three rabbis. Shnia Rebbe Loi Omre Shlakish, that's two rabbis. The third one was Rebbe Loi Lechud, Rebbe Loi by himself. So these teachings by the various rabbis, the first one was Rabbi in the name of Rabbi in the name of Rabbi, the second one was Rabbi in the name of Rabbi, the third one was just a plain rabbi. So that was just an easy way to remember. Next. Omrav Yitzchak ve'usha siknu and usha they made a rule she adam misgalgo im banav that a person should keep on trying with their children ad shteim esreshana they should go up until age twelve they should uh, be a softy 
on their kids. Uh, they should uh, try very hard to get them to uh, study. Uh, but if they still are uh, rebelling and they're not, um, uh, not getting with the program, uh, then you pull out the whip and uh, you withhold the allowance. Let's see Rashi. If the child refuses to go to Cheder, you be with him sweet and nice words. Oh, come on, go tomorrow. You really want to. But if he's 12 years old and at that age he's refusing, then you get him with the belt, with the, with the strap. No supper for you. You skip Cheder, you ain't getting food. So it, it, it sounds like he, he's saying that you do not uh, come harshly uh, with the kids until, uh, unless, uh, the, until they're age 12. Aini, uh, that's not true. Rav Shmuel Shmuel said to Rav Shmuel Barshila, famous uh, teacher with Shmuel Barshila, but to me, Barshis, he said you shouldn't accept students less than six years old. It's too young. Barshis from the, or it could be the year of the sixth, the sixth year. Barshis, Kabbal Vesafu Keturah. Once they're six years old, uh, you take them and you stuff them like an ox. <coughs> uh, if you ever, you, an ox, you, apparently you fatten them up. You gotta, you, you try to get them to, especially if you're gonna sell them, you know, you need to really, uh, you stuff them. So the kids also, they need to be, they, they, uh, you need to fill them up. You know, the, as much as they're willing to, as much as you could, much Torah as you could dump into them and give them at those young ages, you give it to them. So, um, so that, now the question was, stuffing like an ox <clears throat> sounded like um, it's pretty tough. It sounded like you're pretty tough with them if you stuff them. <laughs> you know, oxes don't like to be stuffed, but you don't give them a choice. They pound the food and they push it in there and again and again and again. So we're saying you only do that from age 12 until then you just ask them nicely. And this sounds like from age six, you stuff them. So the more said, in, suffer like a Torah. It's true, you should stuff them from age six, but But if they don't want to, you don't really push it hard until they're 12. That's answer number one. It's not a kasha. It's two different kinds of learning. Um, it's uh, for mikra, that you stuff. For mishnah, you could wait till they're age 12. There is... Um, it's well known that intellectually their mind isn't developed until a certain age. And so um, it's, you, have to, you have to wait until they, their mind starts kicking in. And then all of a sudden you see amazing things with kids when their mind starts kicking in. Uh, there's a younger age where they really don't appreciate any of it. They're just a parrot. You know, they're just memorized. And so there's a difference between the Mikra and the Mishnah. So Omar Abai, as Abai said, Bayeg always quotes his famous stepmother. His stepmother was a nurse, and she's quoted all throughout the Gemara because Bayeg always quoted her. I think that there is Kabbalistic secrets in most of these teachings because uh, they were always practical things that he quoted his mother. And I, I've told you this before, that um, even though if they really felt that these were life-saving advice, they would quote it because it's, a, it's important to learn that stuff too, but it's so unusual. Abai is always quoting his stepmother nurse. Amri Liye, mother said, Barshis the Mikra. 
like like was she the expert on on uh what, what, why is she quoted in the Gemara? I mean, well my my mother said you know my my nurse she said it i'm going to quote her and she knew what she was talking about and so uh but she did go through a bias filter he filtered he decided what to quote her on but she's quoted all throughout the Gemara. so he said bar shislamikra started at six years old with with the chomish tanach bar eser lamishna 10 year old then you start with mishnah bar tre, uh Bartleser, when they're twelve years old, the Titus may slay. Then you, thirteen. Thank you. Uh, when they're thirteen, uh, then they the thirteen. Uh, most people learn that the, the truth is that was a Freudian slip. That most people learn it means that the twelfth year going into thirteen, because um, uh, it means that you they start practice fasting the year before. So the funny thing is, uh, I see with our kids they want to fast when they're young. It's like they think this is fun, you know, like they they want to start even before. But really, you only start the year before. But you know, because with a girl, Bas uh, Tracer, she starts in the 12th year. Um, there's a little bit of a question how to read the Gemara, but that's the, the way most people learn. It means that they begin practice fasting uh, on Yom Kippur the year before. Um, there is a Rashi, Latinus May, says, Sanus Kolayom Shos They begin preparing, they, they practice a shorter fast, partial fast. Okay. Next. Now, again, that we could really hear a little bit because that had to do with Torah, like the age of a child. Maybe a mother, you quote, because she knows, mother knows best, maybe. All right, fine, mother knows best. And certainly Abaye's mother was, uh, uh, was a famous mother. I mean, she raised Abaye. That's incredible. He was an orphan. But uh, Abaye tells also something else mother quoted. Omer Abaye, Omer Li'eim. Mother said, Hi, Barshis. If you're six years old, the Torah Klai Akrava. And you get bit by a scorpion. And it's, you haven't quite reached six full years. Sorry, you're not going to live. That child is uh, too young to withstand scorpion venom. Mayasvasa, what's the cure? Mardasa dida chavya beshikra nishbi vinashki. You get, um, uh, you get this, um, the gall, the, the, you get the gall juice of this, uh, a vesta bird. Some kind of it's a vulture bird that, uh, and you uh, uh, you put it with some beer and you uh, you mix it all about and uh, you make this medicine and that's the cure. So the question here is, we just said that the child won't live. So what are we saying? And this is the cure. So uh, Rashi first. Rashi says, let's do that. Rashi lo chai im lo he says he won't live unless you use the right medicine. If you don't have this vulture cream, you're in big trouble because this child ain't going to make it. So that's, that's what it means. He won't live, and this is the cure, and so it means he won't live unless he gets a specific med- There's some, some sicknesses that you can, uh, somehow the child will just sweat it out. You know, they can, they can somehow manage. There are other sicknesses that only get better if they have a medicine. Tosus. Um, uh, that you shouldn't get bit. In other words, if you put vulture cream on you, then the scorpions won't bite. The words are, he won't, he won't live. So what well, he's telling you, the preventive medicine is put on vulture cream and that'll keep away the scorpions. You know, that's the, uh, the vulture cream in the beer or whatever, whatever the mixture. Does the art scroll go into more detail what the medicine? No, okay. White vulture with beer. Oh, okay. The bile of a white vulture with beer. Thank you. Yeah, that's 
So without that, you're in big trouble. So, uh, so the Gemara... That's the way Tosis learns. Yeah, Tosis learns that it's insect repellent. I guess bile would be something to keep things away. Yeah, and uh, but um, uh, but Rashi learned the that uh, no, it's a regular refuah. That it uh, uh, it's just interesting on the words. Two, two different approaches to how to learn those words. Okay, um, next. So that's with the scorpion. High bar shit, but it's a child who's not quite six. The tarikle zibura, if he gets bit by a zibura, a um, a wasp, he won't live. Over here he gets some palm, uh, some palm stuff. Uh, this is another uh, specific medicine uh, that will heal him. And again, you have the same Machlokas Rashitosus um, with this palm stuff, the palm bast. Uh, and uh, so uh, it's for this, uh, this wasp... Uh, or this um, uh, this this insect bite. Omrev Katina, Kol Hamaktas has been Pelkas Ben Sheish. So what happens if you decide to take him to school before six? So Rots Akrav Ein Magia. So it says you'll chase him and you won't reach him. So what does that mean? Ikidiyami. Some people say Kavein Rots Avrein Magia. No, so. So the first view sounds like Rots. You'll chase him and you won't reach Rashi you'll have to chase after him to heal him. Children are too weak. If you send them to school too early, they won't be healthy. Uh, he's so weak. First, you've got to build them up and, uh, before you send them off to sit and study all day long. So he says, if you start them too early, they won't be healthy. The second shot is, that other kids will try to reach them and they won't reach them. Rashi and Leo's picking the Torah Kamosta, the B as sharp in Torah as there. So it sounds like a contradiction. And the Gemara says, no, Tervayu Isnu. They're both true. Cholish Vagamir. It could be that they'll be sharper, but they'll always be weak. Or or it depends on the kid's constitution. If he's weak, then it's, then you shouldn't try to start. If he's he's strong, then you could uh, begin to teach him when he's very young. Um, so I, I've I, uh, you've, I've seen both in my life. In other words, I've seen, I knew, uh, I went to yeshiva with people that, uh, that they got a head start on everybody else and they were, you could never catch them. They, they always, they knew everything. Like they, uh, you know, their parents, they had to, their parents hired tutors for them uh, when they were young and they filled them up and somehow they were always, they always knew stuff that other people didn't know and it was like, it wasn't fair. You had to, this young kid who was in the class who was like, uh, um, you know, way ahead. And, and uh, sometimes they were Rosh Yeshiva's kids, kids who grew up in the Yeshiva. And then you had uh, the opposite. You had the Rosh Yeshiva's kids who were never going to get there, who were not ready for it, and they were stuffed when they were young, and they just, uh, they were just, uh, they were, they started too young. And it was just, so really the Gemara's answer is you have to somehow know, the problem we have, um, uh, is that our schools don't know how to differentiate between which kid is ready and which is not. You know, so sometimes they make him repeat kindergarten, but that's not a great solution. Uh, um, the uh, Rev. Gavko Kamineski used to call the schools Sodom schools, Sodom schools. Uh, why? Because it says in Sodom they used to have a bed, and if you were too short, they stretched you, and if you were too tall, they cut off your feet. And he says that's what the schools do. If the child is... Uh, 
uh, is uh, too tall, he knows too much, they, they don't uh, give him what uh, they, they bore him. They cut him off, and if he's too short, they make him, he's not ready, they force him. And so that's, that's what they did in Sodom. You have to really, the ideal world is where you tailor, tailor make education for the child. Or the, uh, but here you see the more saying, no, some kids are ready, some kids are not. Some kids will get a big head start if you start them young, and some kids, uh, they have the same debate when, about teaching kids to read, or teach, do you start too young, do you not start too young? It really depends on the child. Okay, back to Mark. They made a degree. What happens? Women bring property into the uh, into the marriage, and uh, sometimes they sell it off. Now, normally, the husband would inherit those properties after the wife dies. What happens if the women sold it uh, and then they died? The husband has like the first uh, ability to pick up those lands. And he, if there were other people who, other creditors who got them, the husband could pull them out. Basically, the rabbis made him like the first, uh, first debt was owed to him. Rabbi Yitzhak, uh, they, they, this is a, a right that the husband had in the wife's property. Would he have to redeem In other words, it was sold. Mm-hmm. She got the cash. And now she dies. What, what exactly is the nature of It's not real clear with me. I, I hear what you're asking. Um, he's asking, how does, does he have to pay for it when he repos it? Like, how does it work exactly? Um, this was a certain right that the, normally the husband, the way it works is as long as they're married, he can benefit from it, but it's not really his. They made it like it was really his. Um, or she it's going um, Yeah, so I don't, I don't know how that works. Okay. This is saying like he, right, he, he's going back, and even though the people who bought it from the wife, he's, he's taking it over. That's what it sounds like. He found him in the place in Usha. Uh, so we said here all these rules were made in Usha. They must have had a very strong leader to make these rules. So who, who was that rabbi? Who was the head rabbi in those days? Who, who was the one? Sometimes they hid behind the name. Like, who was the rabbi of Usha? Uh, Be'us, who was, that, it had to be one rabbi who was behind the, uh, who pulled it together. So, Omer of Yossi Bar That's the famous of Yossi Bar Tana mina arboim zimnon. I asked him 40 times. I wanted to make sure to remember that, who, who the rabbi was. Um, this wrote, you know, that Rabbi Yossi Bar was the Rabbi of Usha. Uh, then the Mora continues. Uh, we, so now it's just, a, we open the subject of Siddhaka and about teaching young children. Lucky is the person that uh, guards to do the proper things and does Siddhaka all the time. So the question is, how do you do Siddhaka all the time? I mean, it's only sometimes. So, Dush Rabbi Sheba the rabbis in Yavne, Va'omer Le Rebbe Lazar, Zehazan Esbanu Benosav Shem Ketanim. That's somebody who uh, takes care of his young children. That uh, he goes beyond what he's, he, he, he's not obligated to do that. Um, charity begins at home. 
In other words, the, a person who does tzedakah all the time is a good, parent, a good father, a good mother. They take care of the kids. They're, they're, they go way beyond what they're required to do. There's, a person isn't required to do certain stuff. And if a person spends his money on his kids, that's considered tzedakah. Rashi, Banu Benosov, Katana, Shitami, Yom, Laila, Hain, Olaf. Listen to this. Day and night, they are on him. <laughs> you, can't, you have kids. It's a day and night. Uh, you get no rest. You're not obligated. There's a famous story about a rabbi who was in a, in a kolo that uh, would miss, miss chakras or came late to davening. Uh, and then finally they got called in and uh, they said, uh, you know, what's going on here? And he said, oh, I was doing tzedakah. You know, well, what were you doing? I was taking care of my kids. You know, it was like the, that's the, in other words, the, the, that's a... Um, the thing about it is that it's important how a person looks at it. He should realize that he shouldn't just do it because it's natural to him. That's what uh, that's the biggest tzedakah. They have no one else who could do this for them. So why shouldn't I uh, spend more time? It's a famous story. Sarah Salanter once on the they he was the rabbi and they were waiting for him to start the Yom Kippur service, and he was late, and they held up the service. What happened was he was on the way to shul and he heard. Uh, a mother had put a child to bed and then went to Kol Nidre. And the child woke up crying, and so he felt that I can't leave a Jewish child crying. And he took care of the child and was late to shul on Yom Kippur. Okay. But I, you would say, what do you mean? He has the obligation to go to shul, the daven. No, ch- uh, taking care of children is a osis akabakole. He said this refers to somebody that takes care of an orphan, and he raises them up like they're his own. That's a huge uh, uh, a mitzvah. Um, see, and then he marries them off. And their righteousness lasts forever. What does that refer to? That refers to people that learn Torah and teach it. That's a person who writes Tanakh and loans it out, who buys Sforim and uh, for other people to learn with. And you will see sons to your children, Shalom al Yisrael, and there will be peace on Israel. What is that? Once you see your grandkids, Shalom al Yisrael, there will be Shalom to Lasse Chalitza V'yivam. It's a bracha if a person's children have children. That way there won't be Chalitza and Yibam and uh, their fights and uh, it's difficult. So it, it's a bracha. The, if a person sees the next generation, that the children were, they, not, not only did they have children, but the children had children, that's a special bracha, they'll be shalom. Rabbi Shmona, He says, once you have grandkids, uh, that'll prevent fights. So there's a little bit of a question, uh, what is, uh, how does that prevent fights? Rashi says, it's, If there's no uh, children, then it's, it becomes harder to figure out who inherits. If you have children, then the, the children inherit. And that's a bracha, at least, if they know who's going to inherit what. The Midrash Rebbe Nechacham, as we turn the page. The same way, uh, these rules of inheritance, typically, it was on land. It was not on the movables. It was not on the money. Uh, uh, well, how they did the money, that's, that's a different discussion. But the things that were leanable uh, was land. And similarly, the daughters, when they draw their maintenance element of karka, that comes from the land. Everybody starts screaming. <laughs> In the base medrash, they didn't let them get away with that statement easily. They said, wait a second. If somebody 
had land, his kids inherit. The low shavik ara lo What happens if you just left gold? What happens if you just left a big bank account? Does it have to be real estate? Like what's going on here? So Yosef Maybe what it's referring to is ksuvas binindikrin. It's what's a special inheritance that's in the ksuva. Sometimes people have multiple kids: the first wife, the second wife, and in the ksuva is the, the what the new kids would get. So maybe that inheritance was from uh, was from the the, the only from land of uh, Kamarmar. Amarle Mar Gavarabahu. Well, uh, the master was a big person. He knows what he was talking about. You don't have to, um, you know, in other words, they were all complaining what, it, what he said, and they were saying, they gave an answer. He said, obviously, he knew that. He would feed the orphans uh, from, the, um, uh, from the food supply, from the granary, from the best of the grains. So exactly what was that, what was he adding to? And then again, most of the time, people would, sell off the lands or would farm the lands that were left. What exactly was this that he took from the grain stock? So he boiled Parnasahavi. Was this the support? Umay Eloi mi Eloi Daav. And we mean that, that it was from the father's, uh, the, the, what the father left, the father's valuables. Basically, what does that mean? It means that we figure out what the, uh, the expenses are a difficult thing to figure. How much should we spend on the kids? Do we give them, uh, uh, do we pay for their sports? Do we give them uh, 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 bikes? How do we do that? So when it came to the support, they figured out what the father would have wanted. They, 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 they study how generous he was, and then they take that from the money that he left. In other words, the... Uh, uh, does, so when it says over here that they, when you take from land and you feed them off the land, that's very relatively easy. He has a garden, he has, a, uh, he has an orchard, so the kids eat from that food. But here we're talking about expenses and we're taking the money that was left. So the first view is that, that you're allowed, the Beisden would figure out how much the father would have wanted to spend and they take that from the money that was left. Is that what it means? Or maybe it was food that was left. I, what does it mean, Eloi? It means that this was one of the better decrees that were said. Uh, this was an important decree uh, that was made. Um, so let's see Rashi. There's Rashi here. Rashi is all the way towards the bottom. The first, so again, the first statement was cryptic. We didn't know what it meant. It said that they took from his best wheat. Uh, to, for the kids. So the first pshat is in Rashi, four lines up in the skinny line, Eloi Darav, Lefi Omud Eloi Das Vatranusa. The first view is they tried to figure out how generous he was. That's that word Vatranusa. How much was, was he probably going to throw out on the kids? That's what they try to figure out. And they take, they use the, the money that was left in the estate for those kids' expenses. But that, that's, that's difficult really to figure out. What we could spend on kids is unlimited, right? But that's what they did. That's the first view. Second view, Normally, you don't take from the movables for the ksuva. Usually, these kind of obligations are from the ground. What's there? He said, no, you can actually take the movables. You can go check the food in the fridge. 
you can go to the uh, the silos and take out. Uh, in other words, even though normally we take from the land, he said uh, he enabled them to take from the movables for this also. Now let's pause. Uh, when a person dies, there's all kind of creditors, and uh, the money disappears very quickly. The bank, the tax people, uh, people borrowed like they do today. Like you think a person leaves the house, many times they don't leave a house. The house has a mortgage. So the bank gets first. So the question here is the, uh, the money would be used to satisfy the debts. So the question is, can we, when do we say no? The kids are the first requirement. So on, on the property, you can have a lien to support the kids. But what the, on the movables, there's no lien. But he, the, he's saying that, no, you could take the movables to feed the kids. That's the, so there was a debate about what he was referring to. Back to Gemara. Uh, uh, so this word, the second pshat, the first word of Leah was according to the father's generosity. The second pshat was, no, from the Aliyah, the words that were said in the, uh, in the Aliyah, in the, um, that were said by the based in the, in the second floor, when they were up there, there was a time where they had to meet on the second floor because it was dangerous uh, they, so they met on the roof, uh, but they made a rule that the daughters uh, could also take from the movables uh, before the creditors. Because, so again, they were like the pre-creditors. They, go, they come before the creditors. Today, it wouldn't be that way. Like to, in our law, if somebody dies and they, the, uh, they owe the bank and they owe the mortgage company and they owe, they'll take it all away even if there's nothing for the orphans. But the rabbis instituted that the orphans come first but usually that was on land. The question was, would it also be true of the money that was left on hand? Tashma. And the, um, uh, there, was the, there was the the brother of Revchia Bar Achva, um, he had some movable objects that belonged to the orphans. Uh, you go and use that to pay their expenses, even though it's movable. And even though they're creditors who probably want it. So my love, the Mazone. So you see that you were allowed to use the movables for the debt of feeding the Yisaman. So is, that proves. So again, uh, really when people die, they leave money that's not their money and it needs to go to the creditors. And we say, the question is, what goes for the orphans? So we, it's clear that the land has a first lien for the orphans. The question was, what about the movables? So we're trying to bring a proof that you see that the movables also went for the orphans. So the Morris says, no, maybe not. Lo, hasala panasahu. Maybe that was for, uh, not for the food, but that was for the expenses, and that was the rule of Shmuel, Shmuel tameida, Shmuel parnasa, for the very, the clothing for the kids and the other stuff, shamna ba'av. You would, you would measure the father and see how generous he would be. So again, these are the two explanations of what was going on there. Was it a rule of taking the movables for the kids? Or was it a rule of estimating what the father wanted and there was plenty of money to go around? But the question was, what would, what would the father have wanted? There was a case in Nardoi, and they, uh, the judges in Nardoi said, and they collected from the movables for the orphans. When Rav Nachman heard about it, he did judicial review. He told the judges, you better undo that case. They, they, they weren't supposed to take those movables. And if you don't do it, I'm going to take it away from your houses. Take it away from your palaces. 
uh, he, he was very strong about uh, if he felt it was true, he would force the judges to redo it. Yes. What, what would happen, you know, even if you take the metaphor and give it to the Yitom first, what happens to the debt? Do the debts basically go away so it's like you declare bankruptcy and you get out of jail free? Or do the Yitom actually inherit the debt of the, of the father? So that now the creditors can go after the Yisomim, and they'll just continue the debt, and they'll pay when they can. Um, that's a good point. Well, everybody's um, probably so, negotiate that. They yeah. could negotiate that. It's also certain things were lienable, and then certain things, whatever there is, it, it satisfies whoever. But once that's used up, there could be they're not obligated to. Um, then the creditors would be out of luck. So. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly how the... Um, I don't know that the orphans are going to have to pay if, the, if it's... That goes into like the second explanation that we had, which is that we figure out what the orphans' needs are and then uh, any money left will go to the creditors. But I, I don't believe that the orphans would have to pay back if it went for their needs, you know, what they needed, their schooling, their clothing, whatever that may be. But it, these are complex rules. There are whole chapters on them. The, we just get a flavor of it, really. Uh, they wanted to bring to use the uh, movables for the food bill. In the times of Yohesh Lakish, they were they were didn't want to do that again because typically food came from the the, the land. Who do you think you are? Yohesh Lakish didn't do it. Are you going to do it? He was going to do that. He was going to allow the orphans to use up the movables. He says, I know you, Rabbi. I says, uh, you're not doing the halacha, you're doing mercy. Meaning that uh, really the halacha is that money should go to the creditors. But you're merciful and you're going beyond the letter of the law to take care of the orphans. Elamidas Rachmanias. Uh, so he so what's the problem with that? He says, But that's not the halacha. That, that might occasionally a person can go beyond what's required, or can. Uh, uh, but uh, you you have to be careful because you should really announce that that's not the halacha. You just went beyond what was required here. Uh, and again, that the, to give the mo- the, mo- the usually the movables would go for other debts, but here he. He, uh, he did that, and so this student was saying that, no, that the Rebbe was, uh, don't, you need to clarify, Rebbe, that's not the halacha. And one more case. Hahud asked the commander of Yosef. So orphans came in front of Rebbe Yosef and said, we don't have enough food. So He said, okay, uh, take from the dates that are on the mats. There were movables, they had the dates that were drying on the mats, that were left by the father, so he said you could use that for the expenses. If that was one of the creditors, would you have said he could take the mats? He accused him of, again, being uh, doing what isn't really required and isn't the halacha for the sake of the orphans. So uh, would you have done? I meant uh, the, um, the, uh, the dates that were still attached to the ground. Meaning the ones that are attached to the ground, those are leanable. The, the, apparently this was the big controversy, which is um, 
the things that are land, that's leanable. That goes to feed the orphans. The things that are movable, the halachas, that doesn't go to the orphans. It sounds like in these cases, these rabbis were giving away the, the movables to the orphans, which wasn't the halacha, and the question was, was he doing that? So he said, no, maybe he was talking about the dates on the mats that were attached. As we turn to Demaro's page, so, so, call me Lisa Gose Dami. If they were fully ripe, they're not considered attached. Umar said, no, Lisrikala Dugula coming. I mean, the ones that still need to sit on the tree a little longer. Those definitely are attached. Okay. We will.